It's time for the Predator Way Podcast. The show starts now. Yes, sir! And this episode, we will look back on the 2021-2022 Nashville Predators season, both what went well and what went wrong. I'll also catch up on the playoff run for Nashville's AHL affiliate, the Milwaukee Admirals, and why you should be paying attention. Finally, we'll set the table for the offseason ahead and what is to come for the Nashville Predators. So to briefly recap the Nashville Predators season, they finished the regular season at 45-30-7, which was good for 97 points. They finished in the second wildcard spot after blowing a four-goal lead to Arizona in the season finale. We'll call that game Bruno because, well, we don't talk about it. In the playoffs, they were matched up with the top-seed Colorado Avalanche, where they were swept pretty unceremoniously. It was like the Colorado Avalanche were Vince Carter and the Nashville Predators were Frederick Weiss. Go look up that GIF and you will understand exactly what I mean. So looking at the season overall, there were a few things that went very well for the Nashville Predators. First off, the stars of the team really shined bright with multiple record-breaking seasons. Roman Yossi, 96 points, the highest defensive output in almost 30 years, which has landed him nominations for both the Norris Trophy and the Ted Lindsay. Matt Duchesne hitting a career-high 43 goals and 86 points. Philip Forsberg hitting a career-high 42 goals and 84 points, and UC Saros hitting 38 wins and a nomination for the Vezina Trophy. Altogether, a set of really incredible seasons individually for the National Predators, and really worth noting that after those players as well, Ryan Johansson and Mikhail Granlund both topped 60 points. So it really is an impressive showing from an individual output perspective of what the Predators were able to accomplish. Another serious positive was goal scoring depth from across the lineup. Rookie Tanner Janot hit 24 goals, which led all rookies in the NHL. Yakov Trenin hit 17 goals. If I remember correctly, 16 of them were at even strength, and he really had a very strong overall season. Highly touted rookie Philip Tomasino cracked 30 points, which may not sound like a lot, But when you consider he played mostly fourth-line minutes and really didn't see much of any top-six time until the the very end of the season, it actually was a a pretty good showing for a a rookie player. And he looked significantly more comfortable towards the end of the season playing the, the full ice game as well as making his plays more quickly and really knowing what to do with the puck when he got it. And looking at the Predators team overall, They had 10 players who hit double-digit goals. So the scoring output really was not a problem for the Predators and and really a lot of very impressive seasons. Defensively, and this is really countering a pretty significant narrative that's out there, the Predators had one of the stingiest defenses in the NHL, especially at even strength. If you look over the course of the entire season, the Predators allowed the second-least high-danger chances in the entire league and the third least expected goals, the seventh least scoring chances, and the tenth least shots on goal. 
So overall, a very strong showing on the defensive side. But with all of the strengths, there were some very, very significant weaknesses. And first and foremost was that the Predators really were not very good at generating offense. And while they finished their chances so very well, as, as I highlighted a few minutes ago, they really struggled to create volume of opportunities. And over the course of the season, towards the end of the season, where their, their record started to drop, those rates of creating chances dropped even further. So again, when we look at their sort of underlying analytics, especially at five on five, they were 24th in scoring chances created, 28th in expected goals, and 30th in creating high danger chances. So when you extrapolate that out and balance the offense versus the defense, and you look at sort of the, the rates comparative of the two, they came out looking like a relatively even team. But a lot of that had to do with they gave up so little defensively, but also created very little offensively. And when you look at the playoff series versus Colorado, that rate of finishing their chances just wasn't the same. Colorado played them tight, didn't allow the same types of chances. The Predators didn't finish as well as as they had earlier in the season. And as a result, they just couldn't keep up with Colorado and Colorado's even more elite ability to both generate and finish on their offensive chances. Another real, real weakness that was seen was the Predators faded down the stretch. They didn't fall off a cliff, but the areas in which they were struggling, they struggled a little bit more. And the areas they were doing well, they didn't do quite as well. And if you think about that in terms of game over game, if you were generating, say, 15 scoring chances a game, even though you finish really well, if that 15 drops to 12, that might be one less goal on the score sheet. If you're only giving up 10 scoring chances a game, and now you give up 12, that might be one more goal on the scoring sheet. And that might be just enough to turn a win into a game that goes to overtime or potentially into a loss. And what that really turned into is down the stretch, they really played like a, like a 500 team, not a upper echelon in the conference team that they showed at the beginning of the season when those flaws were being hidden by elite offensive production and elite defensive play. And along the same way, the goaltending just kind of fell off a little. Again, it wasn't that they went from great to terrible. UC Saros was still very good and still put up very strong numbers down the stretch. But again, just not quite as good. And as a result, it's that, it's that same argument. Giving up one more goal a game or half more goal a game has the ability to turn some of those wins into losses and helped contribute to the Predators falling from a divisional playoff spot down into the wild card and eventually down to the second wild card and ultimately that playoff series against Colorado. And you really can't highlight the Predators' struggles with talking about Luke Cunning. He had a miserable season. And I don't think it was a lack of effort or anything to that effect where you might say a player didn't care. He certainly played hard. He was always skating hard. He was always working, but he completely lost the ability to finish on his shots. He took, I think, the highest rate of penalties or maybe close to the highest rate of penalties on the entire team. And his offensive defensive possession metrics were blatantly pretty awful. In fact, he was one of the worst forwards in the league at maintaining or creating possession. 
which really begs the question of why was he kept in the top six all season long? He barely ever faced having to drop down in the lineup, where when you look at someone like Ellie Tolvanen, who had more positive impacts across various aspects of the game, would get scratched or dropped to the fourth line on a number of occasions. So to that end, if you're looking for a criticism of John Hines, of which there are certainly some that can be levied, that would certainly be one of them, is riding a player, waiting for that player to turn around and start producing when all evidence through the season was to the contrary. And then along that same vein, looking at the flaws of the team and that they were not very good at generating offense, even going back to the beginning of the season, they were middle of the road and it just continually got worse over the course of the season. And you had a second line that really lacked in production offensively. They were solid enough defensively for the most part, but still you're you're looking at that second line to generate a solid amount of offense and they just were not. How did they not address that at the trade deadline? If the front office and the coaching staff thought that this Predators team was capable of making a run in the playoffs, how did they look at that lineup and say, this lineup is capable of beating Colorado, beating St. Louis, beating Minnesota in a seven-game series? And since they didn't address it, being their most prominent statistical issue, it showed. They got into it against Colorado. The Forsberg, Duchesne, and Granlin line generally held their own. They created chances, but especially that second line, just had almost nothing to offer. And when the games turned into Colorado just caving the Predators in and the Predators constantly playing from behind, there wasn't that second offensive line that they could put on the ice, not against Kale McCarr and Devon Taves, and count on them to go create some offense and hopefully get a goal to get the Predators back into the game. That's it for a look back at the 21-22 season. After the break, I'll update on the Milwaukee Admirals playoff run and set the stage for the offseason ahead. And we're back on the Predator Way podcast. So with the Predators now out of the playoff picture and looking ahead to the offseason, all eyes in and around Nashville have turned to the Milwaukee Admirals. The Predators' AHL affiliate had a strong season, finishing third in the Central Division and holding on to a, a playoff spot where they are facing the Manitoba Moose in the first round. As it stands today on the afternoon of Friday the 13th, ominous, the Admirals find themselves up 2-1 to one on Manitoba with a chance to win the series in Game 4 later tonight. If they advance, the Admirals will play the winner of the Rockford Icehogs and Chicago Wolves series where Chicago is currently up 1-0. So why you should be paying attention beyond just it's the Predators organization and it's good to see the teams in the organization performing well and moving into the playoffs. It is very interesting to see that at the end of the season from both Russia and some of the European leagues, as well as some of the, the junior leagues in Canada, the Admirals were able to bring in two top prospects in the Predators organization in goalie Yaroslav Askarov and forward Luke Evangelista. Two very, very exciting players that were high draft picks have been very notable. Additionally, one other player that was brought in from Europe who was a former seventh round pick of the Predators but has grown significantly into one of the Predators' better prospects is forward Yuso Parsonen. And it should be noted that Parsonen played 
first-line center at the age of 21 in one of the top leagues in Europe. That is really quite impressive, and it will be very exciting to see him get some playing time. He's already had some in, in the first couple games and see how he produces now playing on North American ice. Additionally, with the Predators' season over, the Admirals were able to bring back forwards Cody Glass and Matthew Olivier, as well as goalie Connor Ingram. Ingram will start tonight in Game 4. So there's a real opportunity with this enhanced lineup for the Admirals to maybe even show better than they were in the regular season with an infusion of talent, although not much practice time to speak of, But also, there's some real opportunities for some of these players to make their mark for next season. We really have no idea what kind of turnover the Predators might have in their organization and in their NHL roster. So players that come through right now could put themselves up on that list just a little bit higher looking ahead to training camp in the fall. So looking ahead to the offseason for the Nashville Predators, there are two significant decisions that need to be made within the front office. And first and foremost is general manager David Poyle. As it stands today, my, my expectation is he will probably be here for the upcoming season. As much as the stagnation in sort of overall success of the Predators franchise is certainly notable and frustrating for a lot of the fan base, I think without the team having gone completely off a cliff, I, I don't necessarily see Predators ownership making a change. But what I would want to see if I were in the ownership group is taking a look at David Poyle and saying, look at all these individual performances that you got this season, the ones that I talked about earlier. You can't expect to get all of those performances again next year, not all at the same time at least. So what is the plan to make this team better, to transform this team to where, let's say, 80% of that performance repeats next season. How does this team not fall out of the playoffs? And not only that, how do they climb even higher? So there's some very interesting days ahead for David Poyle figuring out what to do with this roster that carries a number of significant contracts, plus, oh yeah, the other giant elephant in the room that is Philip Forsberg, who continues to maintain that he wants to stay in Nashville. That is his primary goal. But at the same time, The contract isn't done. And we in Nashville heard on 102.5 earlier this week from insider Elliot Friedman that as of the start of the playoffs, it wasn't like they had made progress where they were just haggling over movement clauses. They were still trying to figure out what the actual contract value was going to be. And sure, all things can get handled with one phone call, but that doesn't inspire a particular amount of confidence that this is going to get wrapped up here in the next month and a half before the draft and free agency. Which also means there's another reason why the front office might not look to move away from David Poyle at this point, which is, do you really want to bring in another voice to these negotiations who hasn't been involved and try to pick up where they left off and not just be completely bent over barrel by Philip Forsberg's agent, J.P. Barry? That would be an incredibly risky move, unless the Predators are just fully prepared to let Philip Forsberg walk. So now to the decision on John Hines. John Hines, from a contract standpoint, has a team option for the upcoming season. And where where I think it lands with John Hines is the team has made the playoffs, though they haven't seen much success there, albeit the Carolina and Colorado series, they were heavy underdogs. And when you look at the, the regular seasons and the individual contributions 
some of the youth ascending contributions, whether that's Trenin and Janot, Favreau and Carrier, Tomasino. There has been growth from the youth in addition to improved contribution from the veterans. As far as regular season success, the points percentage for the Predators has increased with each year that John Hines has been in Nashville. And the players seem to have a heavy amount of respect for him. So with those pieces, I think that's probably enough to warrant one more season since there already is a team option there. They don't have to renegotiate his contract at this point. And the 22-23 season will essentially be a prove-it year where the overall performance of the team needs to ascend to a next level and you need to see some success in the playoffs. That's really the next thing. If we see another kind of middling year where they're a low-end playoff entrant and get knocked out in the first round, you don't owe him anything more. If he proves that he's a longer-term option and coach based on the progression of things to this point, then you've already got your guy and you move forward with him. So I don't think it's a, it's a terrible position for the Predators to be in with John Hines. There are certainly some very valid criticisms of John Hines, namely, as, as I discussed earlier, keeping Luke Cunnan in the top six for the entirety of the season. True, John Hines does not control the roster, but he controls the lineup. And they could have made a different set of choices there. The reliance on Ben Harper up until the time that Jeremy Lazan was brought in. Very questionable. Keeping Nick Cousins in the top six and on the second power play for much of the season. While Nick Cousins is a very steady player and a generally positive contributor, he's also a very limited producer. And having him in roles where you need offensive production is frankly questionable. So are there areas that John Hines can improve? Absolutely. But is he a coach for right now to maintain some stability and help to continue to grow the players that are on the roster today? Probably. So we shall see how that plays out here in the days and weeks ahead. Looking forward to some of the more important dates that are upcoming. The NHL draft is coming July 7th. For those that missed it, the draft lottery was held earlier this week, which determined the 1 through 16 spots with the Predators being the first team out of the playoffs, and I haven't looked, but possibly the the lowest or second lowest record going into the playoffs, uh, they will select in the number 17 spot. I am not in any way at a point to make any sort of guess about who that will be, but certainly we'll, we'll try to get either myself better informed or have someone else come on the podcast later this summer who is better informed, who can give a better idea of who the Predators might be looking at. Shortly following the draft, free agency will come on July 13th, and certainly there will be a lot of eyes on those dates, especially if Philip Forsberg has not signed his contract at that point. As it pertains to free agency, I will have a much more comprehensive view on the approaches the Predators could take coming soon on PenaltyBoxRadio.com. So that is all for this episode of the Predator Way Podcast. A big thank you to all of the listeners over this season. I am learning how to do this, learning how to do all of the audio editing and, and writing all of my show notes. So it's been a bit of a work in progress trying to find the uh, the, the right way to bring this forward. So I, I certainly hope to have some guests on in, in the near future who can provide additional perspectives, as well as eventually sticking to my promise of turning these episodes out a little more often than I have been so far. And also a big thank you to the people at Natural Stat Trick. I, I use their statistics pretty constantly. 
And really, for me, that is just trying to help understand the numbers behind the story and try to confirm my own narratives, my own eye test. And they are just a phenomenal resource. So a big thank you for all of the work that they do as well. For the next episode, we'll likely be looking after the cup finals where I can give my thoughts on the playoffs overall and turn a more educated eye to what lies ahead for the offseason, including the draft and free agency, both for the Nashville Predators and across the league. So once again, thank you for listening to the Predator Way podcast. I am your host, Boyd Farish. You can find me on Twitter at Boyd underscore 1212. And you can find all of my written work on penaltyboxradio.com. So be safe, everyone. Be well. And we will talk again soon.